Hey everyone, this is Brian with Church in the Loop. Thank you so much for joining me. Once there was a great boxer who said, I am the greatest. And at the time, he probably was the greatest boxer. But as the years went by in his life, and he retired, and finally reached old age, I ended up with uh, dementia, um, probably from uh, the repeated blows of boxing on his brain and the damage that he took. And... Um, really became a sad situation at the end of his life. And he at once was the greatest, was depending on people to help him eat and um, provide him with the food and the water that he needed in the final chapter of his life. In the same way, we ask the question, how can I be great? Um, we want to make a difference in life. We want to feel like our lives make a splash. I remember as a kid, jumping into the swimming pool with the cannonball. Uh, you know, you wanted to make the biggest splash possible. And I think there's a kid inside each of us that wants to make a cannonball splash in the game of life. And, and we want to get everybody uh, excited about what we're doing and feel like we um, made a big difference. The question is, how do we do that with the kingdom of God? And is that the way the kingdom of God works? Join me as we look at Mark chapter 9, and let's see what Jesus says about that. Who is the greatest, and how we can be great in the kingdom. Lord, I pray that as we look into your word, that you would remind us of what it means to live in your kingdom and not ours. The kingdom of this world, Lord, is built on strength. It's built on the survival of the fittest. It's truly a Darwinian model where uh, the strong pray upon the weak. But is that the way your kingdom is built? And I don't think it is. And so I pray now that as we look into your word, that we would see that your kingdom is in some ways the upside down kingdom because it's very, very different. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts and help us to follow you for every moment and be great in your eyes. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark chapter 9. Uh, Jesus is in the middle of his ministry and the disciples are headed back to Capernaum, which Capernaum was kind of like their home base. Um, it was along the Sea of Galilee. It gave them that um, the, the air coming off the Sea of Galilee had that sometimes that fish smell. Uh, fishing was a big industry there. But it was also a mixed group of people. And Jesus chose that as his home base of operations. You'll see that in the Gospel of Mark over and over. They go back to Capernaum. And some scholars even say that he had his own home there that was kind of like a base of operations. Did he rent it? Did he own it? Who knows? Um, but we'll see that here in the text, that it seems to support the idea that Jesus did in fact have some kind of home base. And um, yes, he, he traveled a lot in his, in his ministry, but I think he also balanced that with being at Capernaum. Um, I don't think he was just an itinerant preacher only who... Uh, was homeless, so to speak. I, I don't believe that. Um, and I think the scriptures here tell a, a different story on that. Let's, uh, let's read, starting in verse 33. It says, Then they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them. Now let's pause there. When it says when he was in the house, you can actually translate that when he was at home. Uh, so again, this, I believe, is Jesus' base of operations, that he had some kind of home. Now again, renting, owning, who knows. Um, and again, you can see from the scriptures that even if he owned it, it wasn't um, 
like a huge priority on this list. Um, it was just simple base of operations, which is kind of cool. And they came home and he asked them, what were you arguing about on the way? Now, Jesus knows what they're arguing about. He's wanting them to confess it. He's wanting them to be honest. And it's not like he was really curious. It was more of a rhetorical question. I think that's a reminder to us that, you know, Jesus knows us, um, but he wants you to be honest with yourself. And one of the challenges that we face is that as humans, as broken humans, we are very effective at lying to ourselves, at deceiving ourselves, at fooling ourselves. And Jesus is just saying, look, I, I want you guys to be honest about what you're talking about. Because when you're honest, then we can get to real answers. And the truth will set you free. But the truth can't set you free until you've asked the right questions. And so he's, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the way? Now that word on the way, um, in the original Greek here, it says on the road. Um, and that's another phrase all throughout the Gospel of Mark. It's kind of a catchphrase, on the road, on the road, on the road. And you see that in the Greek a lot in Mark. And I think it's there as a reminder to us that our life is always on the way. It's on the road. Uh, number one, faith is meant for the real world. It's not something that is meant just to be holed up in a library somewhere where you sit and read quietly next to a fireplace and the rest of the world is a mess, but you're okay because you're reading a, a good theology book in your library. That's the picture that I like. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. Um, I love the idea of having a library with a fireplace, shutting myself off from the world and reading theology. I, I could do that all day long, and I would enjoy every minute of it. But is that changing the world? Is that meeting the world where it's at? Is that getting involved and making a difference in the world? And the answer, of course, is no. Um, I mean, there's a time and a place to study. There's a time and a place where you can have those moments where you do need to dive into theology or read about God and, and really give yourself time to grow. But when you see that phrase, on the road, on the road, on the road, it's a reminder that our faith is meant for the real world. It's not meant for just going and, and hiding from the world. And I like that because it's, it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of a, um, a life-ready faith. Um, you know, ready for life. It's, it's a faith that's ready for life. It's ready for the real world. And where your faith is going to grow the most is being in the real world. And so that's where I think Jesus is um, teaching us subtly when, when the phrase on the road appears there in the text. But they were silent for on the way or on the road. Uh, they had argued with one another who was the greatest. So they were ashamed. They didn't want to admit to Jesus, yeah, we were trying to figure out which one of us was the top dog. And he sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, now let me just pause there for a second. He, he sat down. He calmed it down. He, that is so the opposite of me. Um, when I'm at work and I need to teach my employees something, that's a learnable or teachable experience for everyone. The first thing that I do as the manager is I get up on my feet because I have to be animated as I'm teaching them this. I, I cannot sit still. I have been so many meetings where I was a part of with the group 
and I'm leading the group and there's something I'm really trying to teach the group. And I literally, I can't do it sitting down because I'm too, my emotions are boiling. Usually I'm angry about, guys, why did you do it this way? Don't do it this way. Do it this way. This is the way that's going to give you results. This is the way that's going to be better for our company. This is the way that's going to be better for everyone. And I have to get standing on my feet and get animated. Well, here's Jesus kind of doing the opposite of that. And that, that just shows incredible control that he has over his emotions. Um, and that's an area I'm trying to grow in because, I, like I said, I have to stand up. I've got to get animated. And here he sits down to tell them these important things. Um, it says He says, whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Now, the word he uses for servant there um, is a word that, uh, it you know, it's translated servant. Um, but it's also the word that we get the word deacon from. Uh, it's diakonos. Um, and, and basically what that means is it's, it's looking for ways to do the little things for people. Uh, the little things that are easily overlooked or considered unimportant. Um, it's, it's a way to say, hey, you know, um, I care about you and I'm going to do this. Like at work, we, we have, you know, our bus drivers and we have a break room. And oftentimes in the morning, if you were to be at my facility, you would see me changing the coffee. Um, all the drivers come back from their routes, their school bus routes in the morning, and there's about a half an hour where they're sitting around catching up with each other before they leave for the morning. And I'm usually, though it's not uncommon for them to see me, the manager, going into the break room, greeting everyone, and then noticing that, oh, the coffee's out. And so I'll grab the, the coffee and um, the uh, coffee machine, I'll clean it out, and I'll make a new batch. Now, some people would say, oh, Brian, you're the manager, you shouldn't be doing that. But I like to do it because it shows that, number one, I, I want to serve them. I want them to see me as a manager who cares, and I'm willing to do the little things. And that does a lot for their morale, because they know I made the coffee for them. And that sends a message that, hey... You guys matter to me, and I am not above you so high that I cannot serve you. And, and I think that's important. And so Jesus is saying, and I'm not, saying, I'm not telling you that story to brag, but I'm just, that's a real-world example of how I'm trying to live this out. He says, whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and put the child among them, and taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes not only me, but the one who sent me. So Jesus is saying, look, here's a child. Um, and he puts, I love how he, he wraps his arm around the child and he uses him as like a exhibit A. And he's basically saying, look, um, when you welcome a child and, and you, um, you allow this child to be a part of what we're trying to do, you're welcoming me and the Father who sent me. And I think, now we, we 2,000 years later, I think we need to decipher that a little bit, translate that, because here's what I think he's really trying to say in the moment. He's not just saying we need to have, we need to have good child care in our churches. Um, <laughs> that's important, yes, but I think he's going way beyond that kind of thinking. What Jesus is trying to say is, look, 
I want you to welcome those who are marginalized and those who are um, insignificant as if they were equally significant as you, because they are. Now, back in Bible days, children were considered um, property. They were considered um, free labor. They were considered investments. Uh, they were considered um, retirement. So if you were a farmer back in Bible days, your goal was to have children who would carry on the family farm. And so your goal was to have kids as soon as possible and as many as possible. Because, number one, you knew you would lose a few um, to sickness and disease. So that, because they didn't have immunizations and vaccines, so that was always a threat and a very real um, ongoing problem in, in those times, in many parts of the world still today. And you wanted to ensure that your farm would have the labor it needed. You can't afford to go hire workers because everyone was poor and you barely made enough to survive. So, But if you could raise your own labor, that's, that's a win. You didn't have to pay the kids. They were free labor. So they could uh, work with you in the fields and learn the business and then take it over and then there's your retirement. The, the transition would take place. They would run the farm and then make sure you would do the little jobs um, that you could do in your old age. So children were seen as a commodity, as like property, as something that was an investment piece that was good for the future, but not so much right now. I mean, they were good for now in that sense, but they weren't coddled. They weren't, there weren't toys all over the living room. There weren't, um, it was basically as soon as they could start walking and stuff, you handed them a broom. Um, so it was not uncommon to see child labor in Bible days. I mean, every child basically had some kind of labor chores that they had to do. I mean, I remember as a kid growing up having chores to do, but it was just stuff around the house, like clean out the litter box, um, water the plants and dust on Saturdays, um, clean my room, you know, rake the leaves, those kinds of things. But in Bible days, it was literally important for the sake of the family business, whatever that family business was. But children were considered expendable. So if one day you lost one to a farm accident, you would be sad. Um, you would grieve. But you would also tell yourself, that's why we have as many as possible, because we know this is going to happen, unfortunately. That's the world back then. And so they were considered expendable, insignificant, and kind of on the periphery of things. Well, there's people today in our society that still feel that way, even as adults. They, they feel expendable. They feel insignificant. They feel marginalized. They feel like they're just a piece of this big machine um, that doesn't care about them. And in a lot of ways, that's true. Our society will move on just fine without you. And the sooner you realize that, the better, because that's the truth. Well, that also makes you feel insignificant. That also makes you feel like, well, gosh, what, what importance do I have? And Jesus is saying, you have extreme importance because he made you and he has a purpose for you. And he's basically promising purpose, he's promising perspective, and he's promising power for everyone because they're all made for a place in his kingdom. I love that. That means everyone has a plan 
for the kingdom of God for their life, given by Jesus. And it is no insignificant plan. You may feel insignificant. You may feel like you don't have much of a purpose or a place. You may feel like you'll never make a big difference. But the truth is, you are perfectly positioned by God to reach the people around you. One of the things that I've started to do, and I'm really trying to do this, um, is in my job, I'm, I'm asking myself, Brian, how can I pray? How can I be salt and light to the people around me, my coworkers? Because the truth of the matter is, God has perfectly positioned me to be in their lives for a season like this. I don't know how long we'll be working together, but I have an opportunity to influence them. Some employees I work with 12 hours a day because uh, our shifts are that long. I mean, we it's a long business right now in the school bus business. You start work about 6 in the morning, you get done about 6 at night. And so I have, I have workers that I'm literally around 12 hours a day. These are people that I have an opportunity to show my faith is real, show how fragile sometimes it is and how human and broken sometimes I can be, but also show them that God is my source, God is my power, God is my strength, and my Redeemer, and that they can have that too. And so I want to encourage you guys that look for ways to serve those around you. Look for the coffee pots you can change. Look for the ways that you can bless others in little ways that show that they matter to God. And as you do, trust that God will use you. And that's the kind of cannonball splash that God wants us to make in His kingdom. He's not looking for rock stars and celebrities and influencers. Um, the world is. The world loves those kinds of people because the world loves to worship and worship um, like idols. And we love to put people on pedestals and say, oh, wow, let's be like them. But God's the other way. God is saying, look, I've already got my, your idol in place. His name is Jesus. And I put him on a cross for all to see for all time. So we don't need any more people trying to be saviors of humanity. What we need is for those who follow the Savior to represent Him and go to those dark, lonely, insignificant uh, places, those places where nobody else wants to go, those to, to reach the people that feel marginalized and insignificant, to go to those places and remind them of their significance before God. That's where the kingdom is most found, in power, in purpose, in perspective, and you are perfectly positioned to be the person to do that. Look for those opportunities today. I want to challenge you for that, and I want to remind you of that. That's where the kingdom loves to grow. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us to remember that you have perfectly positioned us to reach certain people around us. Help us to do that. It's hard, Lord, when we're caught in the melee of responsibilities and life and distractions and, and the burdens of this modern life. But help us to be salt, to be light to those people around us so that we can show forth your kingdom that is already there, but it can become uh, something that takes root in their lives and their lives take root in it as they fall in love with you. So shine through us, I pray, as salt and light, Jesus, so that they would see the glory of who you are and how you bring purpose and power and perspective, a true plan to their lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.